Hello, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy, coming to you from Ithaca, New York. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is rooted in the philosophy that structure and function are interrelated, and restoring mobility to skeletal, arthrodial, myofascial, and neural structures will create more efficient posture and fluidity of movement, thus promoting health and well-being. Manual therapy has been practiced throughout history, and no one profession owns manual therapy. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is eclectic, inclusive, and dedicated to training all bodywork professionals in the art and science of manual therapy. Please check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. In today's podcast, we'll explore the marvelous myofascial system that extends from the base of the skull down to the soles of the feet and intimately connects and communicates with every structure and system in the human body. The first anatomical theater was built in 1594 at the University of Padua, located in Veneto, Italy. The theater was circular with seating tiers that provided a bird's eye view for students observing dissections. Since the beginning, anatomists thought that fascia was simply packing material that filled the space between internal organs and connected structures such as bones, ligaments, muscles, and tendons. As with bubble wrap used to protect the contents of a package, fascia was dissected and discarded with no appreciation of its significant role in the function of the human body. Fascia more recently has been considered the Cinderella of orthopedic tissue, ignored and mistreated for decades. Andreas Vesalius, 1514-1564, a Belgian physician anatomist, wrote one of the most influential books on human anatomy, De Humani Corporis Fabrica, translated as The Fabric of the Human Body. Vesalius questioned the accuracy of anatomical illustrations created by Galen, Greek physician, which were based on animal dissections and considered the gold standard in medical education at the time. Through extensive human dissections, Vesalius described all the systems of the body in great detail, such as respiratory, circulatory, digestive, genitourinary, muscular, and neurological. However, he neglected to mention the marvelous myofascial system that intimately connects and communicates with every structure and system in the human body. Consequently, medical specialists emerged as clinical experts for each of the body's systems. Although specialization conceptually seemed like a good idea, it resulted in an inability to think across systems and view the body as a whole. Several anatomical terms other than fascia have been used to describe the tissue between the cells, connective tissue, extracellular matrix, interstitial tissue, and loose or areolar tissue. Fascia is a continuous three-dimensional web-like structure extending from the surface of the skin to the periosteum, bones of simply ossified fascia. It extends from the base of the skull down to the soles of the feet and surrounds, protects, and supports every organ, muscle, nerve, and blood vessel in the human body. Muscle and fascia are structurally inseparable, starting with the endomesium that envelops each muscle fiber, the paramesium that divides the muscle fiber and makes up the fasciculi, and the epimesium which surrounds each muscle as a whole and is continuous with the tendons that attach muscles to bone. Fascia makes up the shape and the form of the body itself and is the largest and most interconnected system in the body. During embryological development, fascia functions as scaffolding for growth and development, continuously adapting and transmitting mechanical and biochemical signals orchestrating the construction of the human body. Dr. Jean-Claude Gamberteau, French physician and hand surgeon, shed light on living fascia using magnified intraoperative endoscopy. Historically, fascia has been studied as dead tissue in cadavers, and its architecture and function have been underappreciated. Thomas Finley, a physician in physical medicine and researcher, 
who is also a bodywork practitioner, said it best. I learned anatomy from a cadaver in a book, and neither one moved while I was studying. Fascia is made up of a network of fibers with variable lengths and thicknesses. The fibers can lengthen, slide along one another, and even divide into two or three separate fibers while still maintaining tissue continuity. The dynamically adaptable fibers assist with absorbing and dispersing energy. The fibers are constructed primarily of collagen, an insoluble fibrous protein made up of amino acids that give strength and resilience. Collagen has a waveline crimping pattern that provides some degree of stretch. When tension is applied to collagen fibers, they uncrimp and lengthen. The fibers also contain elastin, a protein made up of smaller amino acids that lends elasticity and flexibility to the fascia, absorbing tensional forces up to the limit of the collagen fiber's length. Elastin is similar to spandex, a synthetic fiber that is woven into the other fabrics to provide elasticity to garments. These collagen and elastin molecules make up the small fibrils and larger fibers that are capable of distributing multidirectional internal and external forces throughout the body. The fibers and fibrils are embedded in a highly hydrogenated protoglycan gel referred to as ground substance. Protoglycans consist of a core protein with one or more attached glycaminoglycan chains. These gag chains are hydrophilic. They attract and absorb water into the multifibrillar system. The role of ground substance is to lubricate the fibers and maintain critical interfiber distance, which allows for infinite mobility of the fascial matrix. Hyaluronic acid, also known as hyaluron, is the simplest glycaminoglycan that not only provides lubrication and hydration, but also mediates cellular activity within the fascia. Ground substance is the reason why fascia is considered a viscous colloid, solid material suspended in a fluid, and displays certain physical properties. Colloids are not compressible, however they respond to pressure distinctly. Less pressure results in greater response and a firmer and quicker pressure results in resistance. Myofascial release, a popular soft tissue technique, involves a low load, long duration stretch of soft tissue, and its effectiveness is thought to be related to improving mobility of ground substance. Improvements in flexibility via stretching or foam rolling are more likely the result of changes in viscosity versus lengthening of tissue. Ground substance becomes less viscous when subjected to applied stress that is low, slow, and introduced over time. This concept of thixotropy occurs when trying to get ketchup out of a bottle. If you bang hard on the bottle, the ketchup becomes more viscous. However, if you gently and slowly tap on the bottle, the ketchup eventually flows out. Ground substance assists the fibrillar system in absorbing forces and distributes them throughout the body. Similar to coconut oil, the ground substance is more fluid at higher temperatures. This is why hot yoga is so popular for improving flexibility. As we age, there is a loss of ground substance and thickening of collagen fibers, making them less resistant to tension, thus joints, muscles, and fascia become less mobile. A newborn baby is roughly 78% water. At one year, it drops to 65%, and adults are approximately 60% water. As we age, we slowly dry out and lose soft tissue mobility. After 50, men are 55% water and women 47%. Drinking water is important for overall health. However, the way to get water into, into the tissue is through movement. Tai Chi, a Chinese form of moving meditation that originated from the martial arts, is practiced daily in China and Japan to promote physical health, mindfulness, and longevity. The highest life and health expectancy in the world can be found on the small island of Okinawa, Japan. 
A secret to the Okinawa success is the widespread guarding opportunities for exercise and the practice of Tai Chi. The way bodywork improves mobility is more likely influencing fluid dynamics than loosening tissue. However, there is some degree of lengthening by freeing up bound fascial elements. Buckminster Fuller, 1895-1983, was an American architect who introduced the element of tension into construction. He used steel beams and cables to create tensional forces rather than using traditional brick and mortar, a concept known as tensegrity. In 1967, Fuller designed and managed the construction of the biosphere in Montreal, Canada. The human body is very similar to the biosphere. It consists of a network of pre-stressed collagen fibers cables and bones steel beams. In the human body, tensegrity is referred to as biotensegrity. Fascia shares loading across the entire form to provide stability and allow for upright posture and dynamic movement. Muscle contractions transmit force through the fascial system to produce movement. The concept of individual muscle actions and levers represents a linear system, however the body is non-linear. The traditional view of force generated within a muscle and transmitted in series through a tendon onto a bone to produce movement is antiquated. Muscles are linked with each other through the fascial system and cannot be considered independent drivers. The fascial matrix is a hydraulic system liquid moving in a confined space under pressure, capable of generating large forces to move the body. Ultrasound studies of the calf tissue of kangaroos revealed that fascial recoil plays a considerable role in the ability of the marsupials to jump. The same reason is why Roger Clemens, former professional baseball pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, nicknamed Rocket, was able to throw a baseball 98 miles per hour. When tension in the fascial system is balanced, the body is more capable of resisting the forces of gravity and producing fluid and efficient movement. Without fascia, our bodies would collapse to the ground like a house of cards. Hooke's law of elasticity that states stress in a material is directly proportional to the strain so long as the elastic limit has not been reached explains how the network of fibers and fibrils adapt to internal and external stress. As each fiber reaches its maximum stretching point, it slides on other fibers, divides into multiple fibers, or recruits other fibers to help disperse the force and remain in the elastic region of the stress-strain curve. Water is forced out of the tissue and the ground substance becomes less viscous. While in the elastic range, if the load is removed, fascia returns to its original length by releasing stored energy, a process known as hysteresis. Water is reabsorbed back into the tissue and ground substance returns to its gel-like state. The ability of collagen fibers to uncrimp, elastic fibers to stretch, and movement of ground substance protects blood vessels and nerves that are woven into the fabric of the fascia. If the stretch progresses beyond the yield point and into the plastic range, permanent deformation and lengthening of the tissue may occur. Under load, fascia is viscoelastic. It undergoes both elastic and plastic deformation. Tissue creep or lengthening is equal to pressure over time. After stretching a stiff shoulder and gaining a greater range of motion, some of the improvements will be lost. Repeated sessions are typically needed to obtain long-lasting results. Reaching ultimate strain or the failure point may result in tissue damage, including damage to nerve and blood vessels. The marvelous myofascial system, its viscosity, elasticity, and plasticity protects the body from injury and provides a sturdy dynamic framework for movement. 
When a force is sufficient enough to overcome the multifibrillar system, damage to blood vessels and nerves will result in extravation of red blood cells and plasma into the interstitial space, space between the cells. Superficial tissues will demonstrate ecchymosis, discoloration of the skin from bleeding underneath, and swelling or hematoma formation will occur in deeper tissues. The increased pressure within the connective tissue will stimulate mechanoreceptors and turn off or inhibit muscles in an attempt to protect the area from further insult. This is why muscles atrophy after injury or surgery and controlling swelling speeds recovery and improves functional outcomes. The specific composition of fascia depends on its role in the body. It forms in a way that depends on its function. Tensional and compressional demands influence the fiber arrangement, length, and density. Ligaments and tendons, categorized as dense regular connective tissue, require unidirectional strength, thus have a dense parallel arrangement of fibers with a high proportion of collagen to elastin and ground substance, thus lower extensibility. These structures are not highly metabolic or vascular and require increased healing time when injured. Joint capsules, aponeuroses, periosteum, dermis, and fascial sheaths, categorized as dense irregular connective tissue, contain slightly more elastin and ground substance, a slightly more vascular, still have a dense arrangement of fibers, however they are aligned multidirectional to withstand multidirectional stresses. Superficial and deep fascia, categorized as loose irregular connective tissue, contains less collagen and a greater amount of elastin and ground substance with a sparse multidirectional arrangement of fibers. Within the superficial fascia are capillary networks and lymphatic channels that are responsible for nutrition and waste removal. Most fascia is like yoga pants. It allows for free and easy movement in multiple directions. However, some fascia is denser, like denim jeans, and provides greater stability. Some believe that these denser areas of fascia should not be named by their anatomical regions, such as thoracolumbar fascia or iliotibial tract, but instead view them as a connective tissue continuum throughout the body, uniting and integrating different regions. Anatomical labels are convenient and allow for clear communication. This is similar to the push for movement diagnosis by physical therapists instead of using pathoanatomic diagnostic labels. A movement diagnosis identifies correctable impairments that can guide treatment. Although a good concept, it would hinder communication between the professions. Therapists need to be bilingual and speak both movement and pathoanatomical language and link them together. Fascia is not just bubble wrap that protects and supports internal structures. It is tied to every other system in the body. In fact, it is tied to every cell of the body. A cell consists of a cell membrane and a nucleus that are separated by cytoplasm. The cell membrane separates the extracellular matrix of fascia from the material inside the cell, which is intracellular. The cell membrane maintains the integrity of the cell and controls the passage of material in and out of the cell. The nucleus is the epicenter of the cell, that houses DNA, the genetic material of the cell, and regulates all cell functions. The cytoplasm is a gel-like medium for which all other organelles, ribosomes, endoplasmic reticulum, Golgi apparatus, chloroplasts, and mitochondria, carry out their specific roles in the function of the cell and is very similar to, in nature to the ground substance. All these cells are tied to the extracellular matrix by transmembrane adhesion proteins, located in the cell membrane called integrins. Tension along a fiber that connects to an integrin changes the orientation, position, and shape of the cell, influencing cellular activity. 
This phenomenon is called mechanotransduction, whereby a mechanical stimulus is converted into biochemical activity. The fascial matrix houses a group of cells with specific specialized physiological functions. These cells can be found congregating around microcapillaries embedded in the extracellular matrix and include fibroblasts, mast cells, and macrophages. Fibroblasts synthesize collagen, elastin, and ground substance and are responsible for maintaining and repairing damaged tissue. Fibroblasts can also differentiate into myofibroblasts, which have contractile properties with the ability to increase tension positively or negatively within the fascial matrix. Mast cells secrete anticoagulant heparin into the bloodstream and release histamine, causing vasodilation and increased tissue permeability. This permeability allows greater oxygen and nutrition and removal of waste during the repair process. Macrophages are activated primarily during trauma, chronic inflammation, or in the presence of an infection. Macrophages are often referred to as big eaters and are responsible for phagocytosis or debridement of waste products and damaged tissue in preparation for repair. Immune cells, lymphocytes, and neutrophils assist in removing foreign matter and destroying infectious agents. Manual therapies such as soft tissue techniques not only modify tissue structure, but also can influence cell function through force transmission. The fascia is responsible for maintaining metabolic homeostasis, and restrictions in the fascial matrix can influence a multitude of systems and cause malfunction. This may be the reason why patients experience relief from a wide variety of symptoms, not only from musculoskeletal origin after body work. There are more sensory receptors housed in the fascia than in the rest of the musculoskeletal system. Fascia is a mechanomessaging system that plays a role in proprioception and kinesthesia, responsible for postural integrity and coordinated movement. Similar to muscle, peripheral nerves are surrounded and supported by fascia. Individual nerve fibers are wrapped in endoneurium. The perineurium surrounds groups of nerve fibers and forms fascicles. And the epineurium encases the entire nerve and its extension from the dura matter. This connection to the dura ties the fascia to the central nervous system. The mechanical, biochemical, electrical, and metabolic activity of nerves is mediated by a fascial system. Communication with the CNS occurs through this complex relationship and is the basis of the craniosacral system that was discovered by osteopathic physician and researcher John Upledger. The craniosacral system consists of the sacral bones, the membranes attaching to them, the membranes surrounding the spinal cord and the sacrum, together with the cerebrospinal fluid. Fascia acts as a mechanical interface to the nervous system. In normal conditions, as the body moves, neural structures move freely through the fascia. However, in the presence of dysfunction, neural structures may experience abnormal stress. Neural structures, the meninges, nerve roots, and peripheral nerves must be able to slide, elongate, and compress to prevent damage. Excessive tension or compression on nerves due to fascial restrictions can disrupt microcirculation and axonal transport, which can lead to nerve damage. Altered neurodynamics may also impair mechanomessaging and other biochemical neurological functions in the periphery and centrally. The fascial system contains nociceptors that are activated by physical or by biochemical changes. Pain originating from the myofascial system is typically dull and achy and does not follow dermatonal, myotomal, or sclerotomal patterns. Myofascial continuity and the presence of nociceptors may explain the phenomenon of referred pain. 
Ongoing peripheral nociception may cause changes in the CNS that results in a more sensitive alarm system. This phenomenon is referred to as central sensitization, whereby the nervous system remains in a state of hyperexcitability even after the initial injury has healed. Psychological processes such as stress, anxiety, and depression are also known to contribute to sensitizing the nervous system via central modulation. The presence of trigger points, a nodule on the top band of skeletal muscle that can refer pain to distant areas of the body, is commonly found in patients with myofascial pain syndrome. These patients also have a variety of psychosocial and emotional comorbidities that contribute to the sensitivity of the body's alarm system. The combination of persistent nociceptive input from the periphery and altered perception and modulation in the CNS may lead to a chronic and sometimes debilitating condition known as fibromyalgia. When fascia is damaged, the body can repair it, however, not always to the exact former state. The greater the tissue damage, the less successful the repair process. A paper cut can heal with no visible sign of damage. On the other hand, a dog bite most certainly would tell the story. As we age, the repair process is also not as efficient. Remember falling off your bike as a kid? The scratches and abrasions disappeared quite quickly. Think about falling off your bike as an adult or senior citizen. The wounds and injuries take much longer to heal. In the event of tissue damage, the body attempts to create a patch. The process is relatively fast and nonspecific for apparent reasons. Fibers are wider, bunched together, arranged haphazardly, and avoid of blood vessels. The tissue is no longer supple and flexible. There is a loss of intrinsic mobility. The vascular lymphatic function is impeded, cause, causing circulatory stasis. The purpose of, our, of repair is, is to allow for early mobility and survival. Our ancestors needed to move in order not to get eaten. After trauma, the inflammatory phase begins immediately and lasts for approximately 24 to 48 hours. Mast cells are activated and release heparin and histamine, which increases blood flow and tissue permeability, producing clinical signs of heat, redness, and swelling. Prostaglandins produce pain, warning the body to protect itself from further damage, which allows the body to work on the repair process. In the granulation phase, macrophages, leukocytes, and neutrophils debride the area and prepare the wound for healing. In this phase, capillary budding begins, hence the name granulation. During the fibroblastic phase, collagen is synthesized by fibroblasts and is laid down in a disorganized manner due to lack of normal movement. As mentioned, the cross-linking allows for early movement without disrupting the wound. Unfortunately, it does not fare well for restoring normal movement after healing has occurred. In 1975, Wu and Matthews immobilized the hind legs of rabbits for nine weeks and discovered that the immobilization caused the loss of ground substance and water, thickening of collagen fibers, and reduced limb mobility. Other studies that immobilized animal limbs demonstrated muscles held in shortened position lose sarcomeres and atrophy, and articular cartilage that is not lubricated by synovial fluid will experience degeneration. What we learned from these groundbreaking studies was the importance of early movement after injury or surgery to prevent loss of range of motion and function. Some tissues take longer to heal than others. Those that are highly metabolic, such as skin, may take five to eight days, and others, like ligaments, may take three to five weeks. If you ever cut your scalp and you know that it is very vascular and bleeds profusely, however, it heals very fast. On the other hand, if you sprained your MCL playing soccer, it could take a few months before you're back on the field. The final phase of healing, maturation, occurs at 3 weeks to 12 months and involves remodeling of collagen in response to normal stress produced with functional movement. 
Unfortunately, depending on the degree of damage and the amount or lack of early movement, mobility may never return to normal and the body may be left with some level of impairment. These impairments are not only structural, a breadth of physiological processes tied to the fascial matrix are also affected. Manual therapy intervention plus exercise is critical during all phases of healing to ensure that the ground substance stays hydrated and collagen is laid down along the lines of functional stress, which will maintain its mobility. Arm and Madden created superficial wounds on rats, applied intermittent tension, and found that new collagen aligned in the direction of stress. In the control group that was mobilized, collagen healed with a random haystack thickened arrangement and demonstrated loss of tissue mobility. Chronic inflammation caused by overuse, habitual poor posture, and movement imbalances can trigger a similar process of repair of the damaged fascia. Although this repair process has no clear-cut stages like wound healing, the process is cyclic and can affect broad areas of the fascial matrix. Macrophages are activated to breed byproducts of inflammation and fibroblasts repair micro-damaged collagen. Damaged tissue releases prostaglandins the body part is not moved as it usually does. This lack of normal movement causes a loss of ground substance in water. Fibers stick to one another, similar to cotton candy, creating progressive stiffness and loss of intrinsic flexibility. The viscosity of ground substance changes from vegetable oil to the consistency of honey, binding fascial elements. Areas of the body that are experiencing excessive postural stress become thicker. It's the body's way of shoring up the area. A good example is the dowager's hump that forms at the cervical thoracic junction due to forward head and rounded shoulders posture. Loss of mobility in one area of the body begins to adversely affect adjacent areas. In the case of the dowager's hump, loss of mobility at the cervical thoracic junction is transmitted to the mid-cervical spine or shoulder and over time may produce neck or shoulder pain. The process results in further dysfunctional movement or postures, which in turn creates a vicious cycle of additional mechanical stress and low-grade inflammation. It is important to note that the repair process is the same for every structure in the human body. Both acute and chronic musculoskeletal conditions can produce pain. However, the mechanism for pain transmission is distinctly different. When a tendon is injured, there is an acute inflammation, tendonitis, and pain is from release of prostaglandins. However, in a more chronic condition, the inflammatory process has subsided, and the pain is a result of poor tissue mobility, impaired neurodynamics, and is referred to as tendinosis. Manual therapy can be instrumental in all phases of healing. Gentle massage can be performed during the inflammatory phase to increase circulation, improve lymphatics, guide orientation of collagen fibers, and modulate pain. More mechanical techniques can be used during the tissue remodeling to increase the ground substance and break collagen crosslinks and fascial adhesions to restore mobility and flexibility. The therapist can be thought of as a sculptor, remodeling the body from clay as it transitions through the phases of healing. Exercise is also important for proper healing. It encourages normal movement patterns and optimizes function. Manual therapy should always be done in conjunction with exercise, progressing from passive range of motion to active range of motion and movement awareness, and finally strengthening and proprioceptive training. Manual therapy, like plastic surgery, can become addictive for the patient and the therapist. Careful planning and open communication are essential for a good outcome. This discussion should happen on the first visit to establish patient and therapist expectations with a strong emphasis on the importance of movement and exercise and patient independence. In conclusion, Jean-Claude Gamberteau discovered that the multifibular architectural pattern is the same for every structure in the human body, skin, 
muscle, tendons, bones, ligaments, nerves, and internal organs. This model of one continuous tissue from the skin to the periosteum challenges traditional views of distinct and separate anatomical structures. The body is not simply a Mr. Potato Head, an assemblage of separate parts as we all learned when we were young anatomy students. Even though we spent endless hours in the cadaver lab dissecting out structures, the human body is one continuous tissue, fascia, that extends from the base of the skull down to the soles of the feet. Understanding and accepting the true divine nature of the human body will guide therapists in providing effective manual therapy interventions that produce long-lasting positive effects for their patients. That's it for today's podcast. Until next time, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy in Ithaca, New York. Remember to develop an eclectic treatment approach, stay informed of new evidence, embrace the healing power of touch, and always follow manual therapy with movement and exercise. Check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. And join us for our next podcast on somatic dysfunction.